0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Friday, the 21st of August, 2020. Today in our culture, you'll hear this phrase come up from time to time, people talking about being on, quote, the right side of history. Or maybe you'll hear it in the reverse and you'll hear somebody accuse someone else of being on the wrong side of history. Now this comes up probably mostly in political contexts or in in conversations about different social or political issues where someone will want to posture themselves as being on the right side of history and accuse someone else of being on the wrong side. And I think honestly, most often this happens really with progressives trying to push a, a moral agenda uh, and accusing conservatives of uh, being, you know, lost in yesteryear, and ultimately they will be on the wrong side of history. And I think that's an accusation more and more that is specifically being made against Christians, that Christians who hold to the Bible's views, the Bible's views on what does it really mean to be a Christian. Is is Jesus really the only way to heaven, the only way to salvation? Uh, is what the Bible says about uh, sex and marriage and, and gender, is that all true and binding? Or should we believe what our culture is trying to tell us? And if you believe what the Bible says, it won't be long before you are accused of being on the wrong side of history. Now, we have to realize those accusations are incredibly short-sighted because the Bible tells us how history is going to end. It tells us what the right side of history is going to be, and we're going to see that today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 12. And we're going to see this so clearly. And and this is a church now. Paul is writing his second letter to them. It seems that this is a strong church in first Thessalonians. We talked specifically about how he commends their faith and their hope and their love. And we see in verse three of second Thessalonians one, again, he is giving thanks to God for them as is right because your faith is growing abundantly And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So he's very excited about this church. But then he goes into trying to give this church church some encouragement because we see that some of them are suffering and it seems that they are suffering for their faith. That the pagan culture around them in the city of Thessalonica was calling out these Christians, and these Christians were suffering at the hands of their culture. But look at how Paul responds to them, starting in verse 6. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So he reminds this church no, you are on the right side of history and you will be because Jesus Christ is coming back. And the people who hate Christ and live opposed to the gospel and opposed to the Bible and those that persecute Christians, God is going to deal with them in his righteousness and in his righteous wrath. And so we need to remember, yes, there is a right side of history, but the Bible tells us what it is. And that's not going to be dependent on who wins an election in November or who's writing history books 30 years from now. It's going to be dependent on the day when Jesus Christ comes back and is reigning on this earth. So it should be a call to us towards faithfulness. That we want to honor God and ultimately we don't care what our culture says. Because our culture has no idea what the right side of history is. God does. And that's where we should look to his word for direction. And when we look at our culture, it'll help us determine, hey, what causes are our, our good that are going on on our World right now, and what things are evil that are, and that's the thing, our culture, it doesn't understand the difference between good and evil. But we will look to God for that, and He will determine that. And again, like I said, a lot of this comes up in a, a political context, in the context of what we might refer to as the culture wars and things like that. But after dealing with all of this, that's not really where Paul goes. As he ends the chapter, look at what he says in verse 11. It says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm praying for you that God would really honor your desires for good and honor the things that you are doing for his glory. And so it's almost as if in the noise of all this persecution, in the noise of all this, you know, cultural business going on, he's encouraging the church. No, I'm praying that the things that you're trying to do to glorify God, that God would honor those. And so that's really what I want your takeaway to be. Hey, we don't really need to... Uh, worry so much about the future and who's going to be on the right or wrong side of history. No, the Bible tells us that. So what we should focus on is what are these resolves for good and work of faith that is going on in our life? Are we walking worthy of his calling? And so I would encourage you to spend some time praying for yourself and for those around you that you would be walking worthy and just think, what are some of the desires you have for good? Maybe there's some people that you're really hoping to share the gospel with. Maybe there's a way that you're serving at the church that you're, you're, you really want God to use. Maybe there's some people you'd like to encourage. Maybe you're thinking of your kids or your grandkids or friends in your life that you would love to encourage. Spend some time praying, God, would you enable these, these desires that I have, these resolves that I have in my heart, God, would you honor them and would you use them for good? Because God, I know you're you're going to figure out everything in the end, and and we'll be on the right side of history. So for for now, God, help me to honor you and to glorify you and these good godly desires that I have. God, please honor those. So take some time and think about those things for yourself. And I think another passage we see today that reflects some of those desires is Psalm 101, which is a prayer and really a, a commitment. It says. It's the Psalm of David. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you. O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. And so we see he's making this commitment, and I think it very much lines up with what we read in 2 Thessalonians 1, because we know who the judge is. We know who's coming back. My desire is to walk worthy of him. My desire is to be blameless and upright and a person of integrity in the midst of a very crooked world. So I think in other ways, Psalm 101 should turn into a prayer for us today. God, I want to walk with integrity in my house. God, I don't want to put before my eyes anything that is worthless. God, I don't want to have any perverse thing in my heart. God, I don't want any evil in my life. This would be a good prayer for us to make because we know what we know, because we know how history ends. A great priority for us should be on personal integrity because we know that honors God and we have a sense of accountability before him that he is the judge. And again, none of this because we think it earns our salvation. No, we can't earn our salvation by walking with integrity or not setting anything before our eyes that is worthless. That's impossible. Um, In fact, we can't even do those things without God's help. But As people who have turned from our sin, put our trust in Christ, we've experienced the forgiveness that only Christ can offer. We have a renewed perspective. We now see sin for how ugly it is. And we rejoice that we've been set free from it and our desire should be, God, I want to be blameless. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to know nothing of evil. Well, that kind of gets us back to the book of Job today as we consider the arguments that are being made there and even accusations that maybe Job's integrity had been compromised. We're reading chapters eight through 11 today. And in chapter eight, uh, the second of Job's friends speaks a man named Bildad, and he makes his argument. Uh, Starting in verse three, he says, does God pervert justice or does the almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And although your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. Now that is an incredibly interesting passage because at the same time, Bildad is very wrong, but very right. Again, he's very wrong in that he's bringing this very overly simplistic mindset that, hey, if you do good, God will be good to you in in the sense that he will physically bless you. And if you're doing wrong, God's going to get you. And and it's an overly simplistic view of how things work. And it's just, Job, you must be in some kind of sin if this bad thing is happening to you. So seek God and he's going to restore you. And again, we know this whole thing has started not because Job was in sin. It actually started because Job was walking in righteousness. But again, the interesting part, he's very wrong in how he's looking at things, but he's very right. And guess what happens? God does restore Job. And although his beginning days were small, the latter days will be very great. Uh, Spoiler alert, most of you probably know how the story of the book of Job ends. He ends up it lists all of, you know, his possessions at the end of the book, and it's all double what he had at the beginning. So in some ways, Bill, that is very, very wrong, but almost in an unwitting way, his words end up proving true that God does bless and restore Job. But Job responds in chapters 9 and 10, and it's almost as if he is, in verse 2 of chapter 9, he says, truly, I know that it is so, but how can a man be right before God? It's almost as if he's saying, Hey, I'm not in sin there's no, you know, secret sin in my life that God is judging me for, but almost how can somebody be perfect? That's not possible, but he wants to really almost plead his case with God. And that's something that'll develop throughout the book that Job is almost trying to make his case with God of why are you doing this? Uh, Look at chapter 10, verse 18. Job says, why did you bring me out from the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. He's saying it would have been better if I had never been born. So you, you see a sense that Job is affirming his integrity and he's not cursing God, but he is questioning and trying to argue his case before God, even saying things to the effect that, man, it would have been better if I had just died and, and never been born. And then chapter 11, Zophar, uh, another friend speaks and he's carrying on the same logic uh, of the other friends. Even he says, uh, he he says something so strong in 11 verse six, and he's talking about God, or I guess starting in verse five, he says, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom for he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. So he's coming on so strong saying, Job, no, God's probably still not even giving you what you deserve. So he's continuing that mindset and we'll continue more in the book of Job tomorrow. Finally, we read in the gospel of Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 21 today. And you see Jesus calling out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders as he heals a woman on the Sabbath. And they're getting so upset about it saying, hey, she could have got healed any other day. Why'd she have to do that on the Sabbath? And Jesus calls them out for their hypocrisy that they would water their animals on a Sabbath. How could not this woman, he calls a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. And that's a good thing for us even to remember that if we start to prioritize rituals or traditions over people, we have strayed from how Jesus. Operates, and again, there is truth in Scripture. Uh, we talked about being on the right side of history. Right, there are truths that that we cannot bend or or flex. That's not what we're talking about. Like in the name of love, I'm going to water down the gospel or back down from what the Bible clearly says. He's talking about the, these man made ridiculous ideas that should not have preference over the priority of caring about people. And that's something we learn from Jesus. And I hope that we do care about people and that some of our resolves for good and works of faith in our lives are focused on serving others as we will go through this world knowing, hey, we know how the story ends. So again, I want to encourage you, spend some time lifting up some of your own desires for good in, in serving other people and serving the cause of Christ and ask God to honor those as you seek to serve him today.